Daniel's Vision of a Man. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and I, as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words that I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Uh, as you can tell, I'll be giving the message tonight. Um, I have some good news for you. Uh, when I first wrote the message, it was about 19 pages and 12 fonts, which I think roughly is about two and a half hours. Um, and so I did reduce it, and since it's raining and stuff, I've cut it down to about an hour and a half now. So I'm kidding. All right. Um, one of the things that really touched me, we went to a leadership conference on Thursday, and um, one of the things that our state pastor seems to say almost every time is pastors sometimes are good communicators, which is good, but more importantly, the job of the pastor is to share the words in the Spirit. Because it's not just for you to hear the message, but if it's, it's, it's to ring true in your spirit and to evoke a change so that we become more like Christ. And so my prayer today is, hopefully I won't trip over too many words or get lost on where I'm going, but more importantly, that God's word, independent of who shares it with you, makes an impact on your life, changes you and makes you more like Christ. And that's really our goal here. So...
Um, so Daniel, in this uh, scripture that we just shared, um, Daniel, as you know, is a man of prayer. And he fasted and prayed for three weeks, concerned about the future of Israel. And it was a heartfelt, reverent prayer. And God heard his prayers and sent a response. But we hear that the response took 21 days. The one called the Prince of Persia prevented the messenger from coming. We don't actually know who the Prince of Persia is. The text doesn't tell us. But we know that he blocked an angel from delivering a message. And we know that it was God's message. So we surmise it probably was a demon of some sorts. The messenger was probably Gabriel, although the text doesn't say, but it does say about Michael, Michael being the archangel that we hear about in other places in the Bible as well. So these uh, verses illustrate for us that there's an unseen battle that is occurring perhaps all around us at, at any moment. And that's in the spiritual realm. And that there's a role that we see here that Daniel plays um, with the power of prayer. And so perhaps with our prayer, we can have some influence uh, in the spiritual realm as well. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to our Lord Christ. So Paul uses prayer and truth to proclaim Jesus, to destroy strongholds and false teaching. And he instructs us to do the same, to follow his example. Paul writes in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As we read on, the text says, Stand firm with a belt of truth around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness, with your feet fitted uh, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So as a believer in Christ, I am part of God's army. You are part of God's army. You have the, army, the armor of God at your disposal. You fight with love, with prayer, with the word of God. You fight for your soul and for the souls of those around you, for protection against dark influences. Doesn't the purpose and power of prayer change in your minds when we realize what we're praying for? Not just for a good day, or maybe something, maybe we needed a raise or more time for something, or, but when we know we're praying against the schemes of the devil, 
and that in this other realm that there's a battle going on and we can have some influence in the outcome. We know the victory, but we still need to pray. So God's side is fighting against the spiritual realm of darkness. We realize our battles are spiritual. Our prayers should shift from asking for blessings, but instead pray against the schemes of Satan. We pray to guard our hearts from the influence of demons, and we pray for protection and salvation of those we love. So last week, as happens from time to time, Kristen and I had a bit of an argument. And sometimes when you get in an argument, I think that sometimes there may be some influences out there because she says something and I take it a little differently than she meant and I say something and she takes, I take it a little differently than she meant and the next thing you know, we're in much bigger of an argument than we ever thought we should be in. And uh, I wonder, like the cartoons used to show, uh, is there someone sitting on my shoulder whispering something, contorting something, influencing? And, uh, you know, we did reconcile with the argument. You can say we're talking to one another. But there was a time when we were being misled. I think we were being influenced. We were being foolish. And it was a time of resting and focusing and prayer that brought us back and realized, you know, that uh, we needed to apologize. We needed to focus our eyes on Jesus and not be distracted. In the Old Testament, in the time of Elisha, there's another example of battles and armies in the spiritual realm. In this story, uh, this is about the Arameans. And the Arameans were constantly trying to destroy the Israelites. That was, for whatever reason, uh, what they wanted to do. And they kept getting thwarted because the Israelites knew what the Arameans were planning on doing. And in this particular case, one of the Arameans was able to share with uh, the, the king and say, they know what we're planning on because they have a man who's a prophet, and that was Elisha. And so uh, the king of Aram wanted to get rid of Elisha, so he sent troops to where Elisha was with the idea that he was going to um, catch him or destroy him. And so the text in 2 Kings 6 reads something like, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, so this is Elisha's servant, um, an army with horses and chariots had completely surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what should we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. So the Bible teaches us that there are battles and armies that are unseen around us. As we mentioned previously, we as believers in Jesus are part of that battle, and we call this spiritual warfare. So as we move forward, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare. And there's two primary errors when it comes to spiritual warfare. One is overemphasis, and one is underemphasis. So some people blame everything that goes wrong on a demon, okay? 
every conflict, I don't know, maybe your shoe's untied, I don't know, um, and just think that, you know, the demon needs to be cast out in every circumstance. We have to remember that sin is actually our choice, okay? We can be influenced by the spiritual realm, but we also have to make the decision to take the action. The devil made me do it. Sounds like a pretty good excuse, but we're still responsible for our choices. So again, as, although, they, uh, although demons may be able to influence us, they don't make us make that decision. The second uh, error would be that of ignoring the spiritual realm. We have to remember that Scripture is true. And so if Scripture talks about a spiritual realm, then that's a true thing. And so the Bible tells us our battles against these spiritual powers. And one of the things that uh, I would say I've been guilty of, it was probably before, yeah, it was, it was well before I knew Jesus, but there's a lot of movies that come out that are very dark and, and demonic. And uh, as a teenager, I entertained some of those things, and I probably didn't really realize what I was messing with at the time. Um, and so you wonder, you know, reading those books or watching those movies, are, is someone who does that exposing themselves unnecessarily to, to dark forces? Paul instructs Christians to wage war against the sin in themselves and warns us to ex- oppose the schemes of the devil. And Ephesians 6 shares some crucial truths about spiritual warfare. So these are, these are the instructions from the Bible on how to do spiritual warfare. First and foremost, we can only stand strong in the Lord's power. We do not stand on our own. It is God's armor that protects us. And our battle is ultimately against these spiritual forces of evil. What we do with the armor of God is key. We are to know truth, believe truth, and speak the truth. We are to rest in the fact that we are declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. We are to proclaim the gospel no matter how much resistance we face. We are not to waver in our faith We're to trust God's promises no matter how strongly we are attacked. Remember that our ultimate defense is is our salvation. And we have assurance that no spiritual force can take that away from us. Our offensive weapon is the word of God, not our opinions or our feelings. And we are to pray in the power and will of the Holy Spirit. If you know and love Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior, you are filled with his spirit. You have a mighty weapon. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So again, the word of the living God is the most powerful, powerful weapon against the temptation of the devil. And we need to use that. So one question that comes up is, how are we to pray? You all are familiar with Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, many people misunderstand the Lord's Prayer 
to be a prayer we're supposed to recite word for word. That's not really a bad thing, but let's remember that those words aren't a magic formula as if the words themselves have a specific power or influence with God. The Bible actually teaches different. God is far more interested in our hearts when we pray than the specific words that we say. Um, Ephesians says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition, as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Philippians tells us that in prayer, we are to pour out our hearts to God, not just simply say words. The Lord's Prayer gives us an example of how to pray. It has the elements that are important or the ingredients that are important for prayer. So our Father in Heaven, for example, tells us who do we address our prayers to? Our Father in Heaven. Hallowed be their name, or be your name, tells us to worship God and to praise Him just for who He is, not necessarily what He gives us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a reminder to us that we are to pray for God's plan in our lives, not for our plan. Give us today our daily bread. This tells us we ask God for things that we need. Forgive our debts as we have forgiven debtors, reminds us to confess our sins and to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is a plea for help in achieving victory over sin. And we're requesting for protection from attacks of the devil, those battles in the spiritual realm. Philippians 4 tells us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One question that comes to mind is, is there an inherent power in prayer? The Bible tells us that the power of prayer is the power of God, for it is God that listens and answers prayer. And we know from text and scripture and experience, the Lord God can do all things. There's nothing that's impossible for him. So God invites, and in fact, he commands us to pray to him. We pray with our words, but the condition of our souls, our hearts, is also what God looks for. We should pray for God's protection, for his will, and for us to be focused on him and not be distracted. We know from scripture that we are to pray persistently, with thanksgiving, in faith, in the will of God, for his glory, and with a righteous heart. The Lord God hears the prayers of his children. He promises to listen when we pray. Some people have the misconception that maybe I don't have enough faith to pray, or if I have more faith, God listens to my prayers better. But we do have um, some scripture that says, well, maybe that's not necessarily true. God gets to decide what prayers he answers, but we should still pray. 
The example in Scripture is, um, if you recall, when Peter was in prison, and this is in Acts 12, and the group of believers were praying for Peter to be released from prison. Next thing you know, Peter was released from prison, and he's knocking at the door, and um, there's a young girl who goes to answer the door, and she goes and tells everybody that, hey, Peter's at the front door. And they're like, no, he isn't. So they weren't really praying with very much faith. They weren't expecting God to answer that prayer. Not that I'd suggest <laughs> that that's the way to go about things. Um, but we know that you know, God will answer the prayers that are in his will that he wants to answer. Okay? Um, and faith is good, of course. But it's not, you don't have to have a ton of faith to have God um, answer your prayers. And faith comes from God. So the power of prayer does not flow from us. It's not special words. It's not how often we say them or the way we say them. The power of prayer is not based on the direction we face or the position of our bodies. The power of prayer does not come from artifacts, icons, candles, beads, or whatever else. The power of prayer comes from God and God alone. Prayer places us in contact with God, and we should expect results. They may not always be the results we want, but they're going to be the best results. And we need to trust Him for His perfect will and timing. We pray for a lot of things. Some are good things, some maybe not so good things, some are probably relatively pointless. Prayer isn't really a way for us to get what we want. Our prayer should focus on things that honor and glorify God and reflect what the Bible reveals God's will to be. Remember, God's wisdom far exceeds our own. And so we must trust his answers to our prayers are the best possible solutions. So before you go to God in prayer, there's a couple things that you should probably consider. First of all, confess your sins. When you have active sin in your life, God doesn't like sin, and there's going to be a barrier between what you're praying and God wanting to fulfill, yeah, fulfill or answer those prayers. Don't be selfish, okay? Pray for God's will and pray for others around you before you pray for yourself. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is from James 4.3. I'll admit that I have prayed prayers that probably should not have been answered, and conveniently they weren't. Sometimes I'll be, Lord, if I were to play the lottery and I were to win, I would give a lot of that money away. And I think God says, you know what? I think you probably would, but I think you'd probably want to keep a fair amount of it for yourself too. And I think that would be a bad influence on you. So guess what? You're not going to win the lottery. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn about that, um, but uh, I'm learning, okay? Remember that God wants us to love one another. And so if we're indifferent to the needs of others, God might want to be indifferent to our needs. His word tells us to put others before us. Forgive others before you pray. If we refuse to forgive others, we become bitter. 
How can we expect God to pour out his blessings on undeserving sinners if we harbor hatred and bitterness towards others that he loves? Another major hindrance to effective prayer is unbelief and doubt. We talked a little bit about that with a story of prayer of, um, in Acts 12 for Peter. Um, when we pray, I think it's important to understand that God is going to answer the prayer and to know that he is capable of answering any prayer. But I think we need to understand not that he's going to necessarily answer it in the way that we think he should, but just to trust that he loves us and that he will give us an answer. So how often should we pray? Well, the Bible says constantly. Um, But daily prayer is important. And why should we pray at the very least every day? Well, first and foremost, prayer is really the best way to communicate with God. Prayer is a way to tell God what's going on in your life and to keep your focus on him. Prayer gives us an opportunity to express gratitude for what God has done in our lives. Prayer gives us a platform for confessing our sins. Prayer gives us an opportunity to be obedient and to worship him. Prayer is a way to acknowledge who is really in control of our lives. It isn't us. Prayer strengthens us against the evil of our flesh and the schemes of Satan and, again, helps us focus on Jesus. Prayer is the best way to speak to God. Imagine if you're trying to have a relationship with someone else in your life and you don't speak to them, especially you know, your wife if you're not talking to her every day. There's definitely, <laughs> things aren't going to go well. I know, I shared that in the beginning. Okay. Uh, so, in summary, the key to success in spiritual warfare, and, and this is kind of the take-home message, because I know I shared a lot, um, but basically... The focus is, one, we rely on God's power, not our own. We put on the whole armor of God. We draw on the power of Scripture because the Word of God is a sharp, double-edged sword. We pray in perseverance and holiness. The Bible tells us to stand firm, firm, excuse me, And we submit to God in reverence. We resist the devil. And we acknowledge that God is our protector. So as I said in the beginning, I think the most important part of a message is that we are able to see God's instruction to it through it to us through it. For me, reading about this and learning and having the opportunity to share it has enabled me to look at prayer a little bit differently. It's changed my heart and my mind as far as understanding a little bit better that there are spiritual battles out there and that we should be praying each and every day 
to be protected from the schemes of Satan. It's a real thing. If we deny it's a real thing, we're saying the Bible isn't true. And we're also doing a disservice to ourselves. So I would encourage everyone to continue to do daily prayer, to pray for one another, to pray for strength, for encouragement, to pray for protection from Satan, and to pray that we can all grow to be more and more like Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word this evening. Thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Thank you for the way that you grow us and you encourage us and that you are there for us. Lord, the spiritual realm sounds like it could be a very scary place. But Lord, we know you are victorious and that you love us and that you will protect us. So we pray for your protection, Lord. We pray for your strength. We pray for safety, Lord. And we pray for those around us. We pray for those we love, Lord. And we praise you because we know that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.